If you were looking for a substantive debate on policy issues, well, last night probably wasn't your favorite course. The first GOP primary presidential debate devolves into screaming and yelling within about five minutes. We'll break down the debate and who many believe won. Plus, President Donald Trump foregoes the debate, instead choosing to sit down with Tucker Carlson on X. And that sit-down interview is getting a lot of play this morning. We'll look at all of it today on the Palmetto Family Matters Show. And good morning. How you doing? Welcome in. Palmetto Family Matters Show, strongest and fastest growing conservative talk show in the state of South Carolina. Justin Hall here with you on a Thursday morning. It is Thursday, August 24th, 9.26 a.m. in the year of our Lord 2023 at the time of this recording. So glad you're joining us to look at the debate from last night. Of course, if you missed our show yesterday, we semi-broke some major news on the show. The South Carolina State Supreme Court ruled the heartbeat law constitutional by a 4-1 to decision, and now that law can go into effect. We have all of the information you need to know about that on our website at palmettofamily.org, so make sure to go there and check out your resources. Now, last night was the first primary debate for the Republican Party. And there was one notable person missing, as Brett Baer put it, the elephant not in the room. Uh, Donald Trump was not there. We'll get to his conversation. We'll touch on that briefly, uh, his conversation with Tucker in just a moment. But the debate did feature eight candidates. I don't believe it should have featured eight candidates. Uh, There were people complaining that they deserve to be on the debate stage. My argument is probably four of those that were on stage last night didn't deserve to be on the debate stage. I love a good debate. I think debates are good. I understand people's argument that it entrenches you deeper into your silo and deeper into your view, and that very well could be the case in a general election. However, in primary debates, these are so important because what tends to happen is the candidates get pushed into a more conservative direction, or at least that should be the goal. In my opinion, and again, I have sat down and chatted with many of the folks that were on the stage. Thanks to the Vision 24 event. (laughs) Doug Burgum should not have been on that stage. Can can we just stop pretending for a second? Uh, I saw several... uh, It's just the only thing you're going to take away from Doug Burgum is that he was in the hospital the day before the debate and that he has some eyebrows. Um, Asa Hutchinson should not have been on the debate stage. There's no reason for Asa Hutchinson to be on the debate stage. None. He He's barely polling at 1%. Why is he on the debate stage? Do we honestly believe that Asa Hutchinson will be the nominee for the Republican Party for the President of the United States? Of course we don't. Chris Christie shouldn't be on the debate stage. I get he's polling at 1% or 2%, but is anybody really... I mean, he tried the kamikaze mission. We'll talk about it in a second. He tried to kamikaze Vivek Ramaswamy just like he kamikaze Marco Rubio in 2016. But does anyone really think Chris Christie deserved to be on that stage? Of course not. And I know a lot of folks who watch this show really like Mike Pence. And I believe Mike Pence gave some great answers last night. And he's the former vice president of the United States. Mike Pence didn't do anything for anyone last night on that stage. 
which leaves you with Tim Scott, Nikki Haley, Vivek Ramaswamy, and Ron DeSantis. For all intents and purposes, those are the only four people that probably should remain in this race. That is not an endorsement. It's just looking at the performance of the candidates last night and drawing conclusions. There were several issues that I, that I took with the debate last night. First off, horribly produced. That's number one. But that might be more of an inside baseball thing. Number two, we're, we have candidates for president on the stage with inflation, high gas prices, high food prices, a war in Europe, China's growing threat to homeland security, an overwhelmed southern border with fentanyl and illegal immigrants and cartels pouring into the United States. We have a, a 100-year record wildfire in Maui. We have a president who is, by all intents and purposes, unable to fulfill the job at this point. There, we ha- Oh, let's not forget, we have the sanctioned killing of unborn children across the country, and we have the, sancti- uh, the, the sanctioned mutilation of the genitals of children, which, in my opinion, is still the biggest cultural issue of our time. And yet, the first question asked by Martha McCallum of Fox News is asking Governor Ron DeSantis how he feels about the song Rich Men North of Richmond. Now again, we talked about that song on our show. I have no problem with the song. I kind of like the song. And And I think it drives to a deeper point of the cultural movement that is beginning to take place in our country. But does that really deserve to be the first question on a debate stage? I mean, I... I'm watching this with my wife. I look at my wife, and we both looked at each other like, wait, is this seriously happening right now? Is this what we're doing? It might shock you, but I believe the people actually want to hear about policy. I I know policy isn't what you'd consider sexy, and policy doesn't get the clicks. But instead of your opinion on a new song, I would like to know what you would do in X situation. In Y situation. If Y and Z are happening at the same time, are you going to go with option A, B, and C to address it? This debate left a lot to be desired. Just really quickly uh, trying to figure out the role each person would play. Very quickly, you're going to figure out what their team's strategy was going in. Uh, Doug Burgum's was, hey, I'm Doug Burgum. I actually exist. Here I am. Asa Hutchinson's was, I don't like Donald Trump at all. He shouldn't be president. I did some cool stuff with the Reagan administration and with the Bush administration. Vote for me. Um, Chris Christie's was, I hate Donald Trump. Donald Trump should never be president. And I will literally torpedo my political career even further if it means stopping him from being president. Are we good so far? I think we're good so far. Tim Scott's, Tim Scott was was quiet. I don't believe he got a lot of airtime, and I hate that because I think I think Tim Scott's one of the more qualified candidates. Um, I believe he's measured. Um, I believe he obviously is a man of deep faith and deep conviction. I believe he dispels a lot of narratives about conservatives and conservatism that are being drawn by the left. So I, I, I think he's a good candidate, and I hate he didn't get more airtime, but in the time he did have, I wasn't overly impressed. Uh, Nikki Haley had some good moments. Her line, her, her Margaret Thatcher line was very good. 
Um, you know, if you want to know, uh, you know, get a man to talk, and if you want something done, ask a woman, right? That's a good line. That's a good line. Um, she left a lot to be desired on the abortion issue. We'll get to that in a second. Mike Pence had an interesting strategy last night. If we remember Mike Pence from a 2020 debate with Kamala Harris, a vice presidential debate, what are those really, um, where he was measured, he was calm, he interrupted a few times, but but mainly it was her. Um, that, that's where we get the whole, I'm speaking, I'm speaking. This time, completely different. He set his targets on Vivek Ramaswamy and did not remove them. And the number of times that Brett Baer had to step in and, and say, you know, Mr. Vice President, we, we're going to try to get to all these questions, but we can't if you keep interrupting. And I get you're trying to be aggressive, and we appreciate that, but it's not playing well. Brett was pretty combative from a moderator's chair. I don't know if we're taking lessons from Chris Wallace at this point, but moderators shouldn't be combative with the candidates. So Mike Pence was obviously trying to be aggressive, and I believe it fell flat. I don't think that fits Mike Pence. Mike Pence is not an aggressor. Mike Pence isn't necessarily a laid-back guy either. He, I, think he's, I think he draws a nice middle ground, but he was trying to be the aggressor. It didn't play well. Vivek Ramaswamy's plan was to be the bull in the china shop. Vivek Ramaswamy's plan was to call out every person on that stage, be the contrarian. He filled the gap that Donald Trump left. And I say that not saying that he's going to get those same poll numbers, but Vivek actually did raise eyebrows, no offense to Doug Burgum, and gave specific positions on issues. Now, I disagree with him on some stuff. There's no question about that. I disagree with his position on Israel. Um, I disagree with his position on a number of things. However, in a lot of post-debate interviews and polling, many people believe Vivek won the debate. He was he was quick to respond. He he seemed to be having fun. He seemed very relaxed. Most of his answers weren't canned. There were a few canned ones. His his ten truths um, that he that is a it's a it's a campaign type deal um, that was canned. But outside of that, he he offered real answers, which I enjoyed. I think sometimes he was a bit much. Um, he used the whole everyone up here is bought and paid for line that rubbed a lot of them the wrong way, just as Trump did the same thing in 2016, and it rubbed everybody the wrong way. Vivek is trying to fill a vacuum. I think he's counting on the fact that something will happen with Donald Trump, and then he's the most Trumpian pres uh, candidate left. He's more Trump than DeSantis is. And then we have Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis, um, a lot of his answers were canned. Um, he was quiet, measured. He was measured. There's no question. Um, many times when he was asked a question, he didn't answer it. And I understand you have to get your points in. This is free, this is free television for these folks, and I get it, right? I understand that. But the American people like when you answer questions, and he didn't answer many questions. He would, he would pivot. He would pivot without even trying to make it subtle. And, and I think that can rub some people the wrong way. Now, I, so in, in rank order... If I had to give you a rank order, I would say, uh, based on a conglomeration of what I've seen and just looking at last night, and I'm not saying this is who I believe won the debate. I'm just looking around. I believe it. I believe it's Vivek, then Ron DeSantis, 
then probably Nikki Haley, then Mike Pence, then Tim Scott. That's probably your top five, which shockingly is no different than your top five polling. Maybe with a different order there with Vivek and Ron. I want to get to a few issues that we saw in the debate. And specifically, I am chapped over answers on the question of abortion. Obviously, South Carolina is now operating at a heartbeat bill level, a heartbeat level, that many abortions are illegal after six weeks, roughly, of pregnancy. Now, again, we have exceptions for life of the mother, fetal anomaly, and rape or incest exceptions up to, I believe it was still 12 weeks. i got to go back and look at the bill. It's been a while. So we're operating in that standard. The argument since Dobbs was released has been that this issue has been returned to the states, and many liberal Republicans will tell you that's the case, and the federal government has no power here. Samuel Alito did not say that in his decision. Samuel Alito said it goes back to the people to handle with their elected representatives, whether in their state or in the Congress. Now, and I, listen, we're still trying to get some candidates onto our candidate conversation series, and our candidate conversation series, full disclosure, is not meant to be a knockdown, drag out fist fight with me and a candidate, and it never will be. They're meant for folks to come on here, as Senator Scott did, and make the case as to why um, you're running for president and what your biggest focuses are. This abortion question bothered me, and not so much the question. Answers. Doug Burgum believes that there should it's a state issue, but there should be no federal action on abortion. Now, I'm pro-life, but I don't believe there should be federal action. Well, that just doesn't make any sense. So you're only pro-life for the babies in North Dakota? You're only pro-life for the babies in South Dakota? What does that mean? Uh, Tim Scott gave a very good answer on life, and I believe his answer combats Doug Burgum's. By the way, Doug Burgum pulls out his pocket constitution and says that abortion falls under the Tenth Amendment. Really? Abortion falls under the Tenth Amendment? And so it's an issue because it's not addressed in the Constitution, it should return to the states. Well, really, interesting. Um, Help me out here. We are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, the first of which is the right to life. Got it. Burgum messed up there. So Tim Scott addresses that decision. And again, I believe he had a good answer up until he said 15 weeks at the federal level. Now, again, I just want to make the point. I, I just want to make the point that right now, a 15-week ban on abortion passing Congress is a heavy lift. I believe it would pass the House. Huh, it's amazing how unique and how yet so similar uh, our state house is to the White House or to the Congress. I believe that would pass the House, but it's not going to pass the Senate because you're going to need a filibuster proof vote. You're going to need a 60 vote threshold to pass this type of legislation. So he says, you know, at a minimum we need 15 weeks across the board. Every state needs to have a minimum 15 week ban on abortion. Okay, I can jive with that. But Mike Pence says he's pro-life, looking at a 15-week. Ron DeSantis did not give a clear answer on what he would do. Um, He did sign a heartbeat bill in Florida, but no specifics last night. Vivek did not address the question. 
And then Governor Haley, Governor Haley says she's pro-life, not because the Republican Party tells her to be, campaign line. Uh, her husband's adopted, and she had trouble conceiving both of her children, or trouble in the pregnancy. So she's pro-life. But she made the point that we shouldn't demonize the issue, we should humanize the issue. I believe the pro-life community's been doing that, Governor. I, I don't know really what you mean by that, because I believe humanizing the issue is humanizing the child that is in utero, inside the womb of its mother. I, I don't really get that very much. She then made a, a bold statement that we should all be against late-term abortions. Well, of course you should be against late-term abortions. No abortion should take place at all. Can, does anyone... Okay, I'm just going to say it. No one on that debate stage last night of any of those eight candidates had the guts to stand up there and say that every life is valuable, life begins at conception, and deserves to be protected as such. Not a single one. And if they did, I must have missed it. Send me the clip. Justin at palmettofamily.org. Send me the clip. Because they didn't say it. Not a single candidate on that stage said that they would do every... Here's the answer. Here's the answer. The question was... Would you sign, for example, would you sign, Governor Haley, a heartbeat bill was just upheld as constitutional in your state, would you sign it? Governor DeSantis, you signed a heartbeat bill in Florida. If a, if a bill like that made it to your desk as president, would you sign it? You ready for the answer? Here's free political campaign advice from a guy who's never run for political office but has common sense. Ready? Here it is. I consider myself pro-life. I believe every life is valuable. I believe that children deserve to live and deserve to have the chance to make a life in this country. I believe women should be protected if they have health complications and problems, and every piece of legislation should have that built into it. And yes, I'm pro-life, so any chance I get to sign a presidential pin on a piece of pro-life legislation, you better believe I'm going to sign it. And as president... And as a pro-life president, I will make sure that we champion the efforts to get more pro-life representatives elected to the House, more pro-life senators elected to the Senate, so that way, when the tide turns, we can get a heartbeat bill passed in the Congress, and then we can go a step further and protect every life in the country with the, with the strongest piece of pro-life legislation ever passed in the United States of America. How hard was that? How hard was that? I don't need this 15-week junk. Everyone who follows Congress and who follows the political news of the day understands the heavy lift that it is right now. But stop making excuses. Stop hedging. I'm so tired of people claiming to be pro-life and then hedging. Make compromise where there's compromise. Absolutely. If you get pro-life legislation passed at every opportunity with the ultimate goal being of making abortion illegal and unthinkable, that should always be the end goal. Shockingly, incrementalism does work. We saw it in the United States of America with the, with the Dobbs decision that overturned Roe v. Wade. Now... We have the opportunity. No one can tell us, well, Roe v. Wade says it. No one cares because it's not the law of the land anymore. And by the way, it never was. 
but not a single candidate stood up there and was willing to say, I'm pro-life and I will sign every piece of pro-life legislation that comes my way. And again, if they did, I might have missed it. But I was frankly disappointed. Frankly absurd that none of them would, would commit to anything of that level. There were questions about climate change. There were questions about Ukraine. There were questions about um, the southern border, China. And again, we won't get into the minute uh, minutiae and the details of everything that was said. I, I, I don't want to waste your time. What we, what we see now... Do debates work? In our growing medium, in our growing media landscape, do debates work? Donald Trump sat down with Tucker Carlson last night on X, formerly known as Twitter. And full disclosure, I haven't finished watching it. I've probably got about 10 minutes left few takeaways from Donald Trump's sit-down, former President Trump's sit-down with Tucker Carlson. Number one, and I think the most obvious thing that I can take away right now is he's starting to show his age. And that's, I mean, he's in his 70s. It's understandable. And for indictments and the stress of all that, plus running a campaign, I mean, I, I get it. But the former president is starting to show his age. He does very well in situations like this. He, he's much better in one-on-one sit-downs than he is on a stage talking to hundreds or thousands of people. When President Trump is talking to hundreds or thousands of people, he gets lost in his own thoughts. He starts to veer off script. He senses the adulation of the crowd. And then just starts throwing red meat at everybody. I thought his sit-down with Tucker was measured. I've always enjoyed Tucker's interview style. I believe Tucker gave him rope to, uh, you know, wander like like a dog tied up to a tree. Right, you're able to go. You're able to go far enough, but eventually that tension's going to pull you, and you're going to have to return back. Tucker did a good job of drawing him back. I thought he ventured into some very interesting conversation. Um, Bill Barr. Jeffrey Epstein, the 2016 election, the 2020 election, China, the growing threat of North Korea as well. A lot of interesting conversations that you could have with a former president and that you can have with somebody like Donald Trump. I thought it was a good, I, I thought it was a, a, a wonderful interview in that it displays where I believe the political order is heading. I don't know if debates accomplish anything anymore. And that's saying as somebody who just minutes ago told you I love debates. I love them. I love them. I love seeing candidates spar a bit. I love trying to break down the angles and the strengths and the 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 plan. It's almost like watching a game of football. You you immediately see what the strengths are and how a team is going to attack the weaknesses of the other team with their strengths. But I don't know if they work anymore. 
I don't know if debates do the job anymore. I believe that partly that's on cable news. I believe cable news is failing. Uh, Tucker and, and Donald Trump talked about this last night. I believe traditional media is starting to go by the wayside. I, I, I believe cable news certainly is. Uh, no one watches CNN unless they're in an airport. Very few people watch MSNBC. We'll get to them in a second. And very few people are watching Fox News. People are, you know, I, I don't mean to sound crass here, and I'm not. People are turning to Newsmax and One America News and watching their stuff on Rumble, where the debate was also streamed last night. That's where people are turning, alternative sources of media. Shows like this one, where people want to hear the news, but they also want to hear it from a viewpoint that they agree with. Now, whether that's good or bad, take it for what it's worth. But I believe that's where we're headed, and it's going to be interesting to see if Donald Trump, A, participates in any primary debate, and B, if he's the nominee, if Joe Biden will debate him in the general. I don't believe he will. I don't think we're going to have a debate between the two candidates for president of the United States if it's Joe Biden and Donald Trump. I don't believe we have it. So that's just a few things from last night's debate. One final thing that I want to mention is during the abortion conversation, the topic came up of the left promoting late-term abortions. And abortions up until the, the hour, the moment of birth. Jen Psaki went on to Twitter. Of course, when I look for people to break down Republican politics, I go to MSNBC. Jen Psaki said... Let me find it. No one supports abortion up until birth. No one supports abortion up until birth. Are you sure? Are you sure, Jennifer? Are you sure? Here's Jen Psaki when she was press secretary for the Biden administration. Uh, he's announced his strong support for passage of the Women's Health Protection Act, urges Congress to pass it. So that's Jen Psaki when she was press secretary. Again, remember, no one, quote, no one supports abortion up until birth. Here's a Virginia delegate in 2019. Delegate Tran. Yes, sir. How late in a pregnancy would your bill apply if a physician would simply willing to certify that, that the, um, continuation of the pregnancy would impair the mental health of, of the woman? How, how late are we talking about? In well, so, so the way the suggestion that we've um, made in the bill is to say it's in the third uh, trimester and at the, you know, with the certification of the physician. So, so how late in the third trimester would you be able to, to do that? You know, it's very unfortunate that our physicians, uh, witnesses, were not able to attend today to speak specifically. No, no I'm talking that. about your bill. How, yeah, how, late, I mean, how late in the third trimester could a, a physician perform an abortion if he indicated it would impair the mental health of the, of the woman? Or physical health. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm um, talking about the mental health. So, I mean, through the third trimester. The third trimester goes all the way up to 40 weeks. Okay. But to the end of the third trimester. Yep. I don't think we have a limit in the bill. So, um, where it's obvious that a woman is about to give birth, she has physical signs of, um, that she is about to give a birth, would that still be a point at which she could request an abortion if she was so certified? 
she's dilating. Uh, Mr. Chairman, that would be a, you know, a decision that the doctor, the physician, and the woman would I understand make that. that. I'm asking point. if your bill allows that. My bill would allow that, yes. So no one supports abortion up until birth. That's Jen Psaki. In the last Congress, Nancy Pelosi passed a bill twice on the House floor that made it a federal that would have made a federal law to allow abortion up until birth through nine months. And so if you don't support abortion up until the moment of birth, Jennifer, what's your limit? What's your limit? You know, we heard a lot of talk yesterday about the all-male Supreme Court of South Carolina. The New York Attorney General weighed in. Governor Gavin Newsom weighed in. Everyone wants to weigh in on the abortion issue. Great. Explain to me your limits. And if you have no limits, explain to me why. The greatest question you can ask somebody is simply this. Why? Why? Do we all remember do we all remember Governor Ralph Northam of Virginia? Who said, Well we would we would I we would take the baby and we would put it over to the side and we'd swaddle it and bundle it up to make it all comfortable until the parents can decide what to do with the baby. Excuse me? No one supports abortion up until the moment of birth. Here's a here's another one. Here's another one from Jen Saki. Here's another one from Jen Saki. During the heart of COVID, when actually it wasn't during the heart of COVID because it was after they were in the White House. Here's here's Press Secretary Jen Psaki from the briefing room. The president's position on choice has evolved over time. So just checking for his official position. Does he support any limits on abortion right now? Peter, the president has spoken, has talked about his position many times. He supports the right of a woman to make choices about her own body with her doctor. But I know that one of the Democrats that he endorsed and uh, who won their primary this week, Tim Ryan, uh, said yesterday that he does not support any limits on abortion. Is that where the president's thinking is now? The president has stated his view many times. So does the president support abortion up until the, the moment of birth? The president has spoken about this many times, Peter, and I would refer you to his own comments about abortion. Okay. By the way, abortion in Colorado is legal at all stages of pregnancy. It is one of seven states without any term restrictions is when a pregnancy can be terminated. There are seven states in the United States of America where you can kill a baby up until the moment it's born, and if Governor Ralph Northam had his way, you'd put the baby over to the side and then figure out what to do with it. So don't lie to people. That's the problem. As the psalmist would say in Psalm 116, all men are liars. They're, 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 they're liars. They're liars. And so you're getting upset at people who want to have restrictions on abortion, and you're saying, no one's saying that we should, we should allow abortion up until birth. Really? Because seven states have passed those laws. President Biden supported Tim Ryan. Tim Ryan said there should be no restrictions on abortion. Nancy Pelosi tried to pass a bill twice in Congress that would have abortion up until nine months. We live in a country that does not value life anymore. Thank God, thank God above for the Supreme Court of South Carolina for upholding a heartbeat bill that is constitutional, a heartbeat law that is constitutional and will save lives in South Carolina. It's not the end. We're not done. I promise you that. We're going to work until abortion is illegal and unthinkable. We're getting there. 
But to sit behind your computer or to sit in your MSNBC studio and lie to people, no one supports abortion up until birth, really, then what are the limits? Explain to me your limits. If you don't support that, tell me when it's okay to have an abortion and tell me when it's not okay to have an abortion. At least articulate a position. That's all I ask. And that's and again, that's what I ask of the candidates too. Go back to what I was talking about earlier. I don't believe any candidate articulated a good position on abortion and pro-life issues. A fully fundamental, good, strong answer on pro-life issue and what you would do as president to advance the cause. Not a single one of them had a good answer. Everyone had a good answer for Ukraine. Everyone had a good answer for the southern border. Everyone, everyone had a good answer for China. Everyone had a good answer as to why Vladimir Putin is evil. But hey, listen, babies, ah, that's a little too hot button for me. Martha, Brett, not going to quite go that far. I don't think the American people really care about babies and about life. And about little children getting to live outside the womb. They're living in the womb. But to live outside the womb, nah, that's a that's a state's issue. No, it's not. No, it's not. And when you're looking for who should be the next president of the United States, perhaps maybe, just maybe, you should look for somebody who will not only lead with strength and with dignity, but maybe you should look for people who are willing to articulate a position even when it's not popular in the mainstream. That's all the time we got today. Debate night number one has come and gone. They got another one coming up in September from the Reagan Library. We'll break that one down too. Maybe we'll see something a little different in the next one. That's all the time we have today. Thank you so much for watching the fastest growing and strongest conservative talk show in the state of South Carolina. If you want more information on what we do here at Palmetto Family, go to palmettofamily.org. There you can listen to and watch every single one of our shows from this Palmetto Family Matters Network. You can also read our written material. You can visit the different pages of the issue sets that we are tackling, including our recap of the ruling from the state Supreme Court that upheld the heartbeat law as constitutional yesterday in a 4-1 decision. And these monumental wins that take place, these monumental historic wins that take place in South Carolina to advance the cause of life and family for, that, that's good for the culture don't happen without people like you and support from people like you. So if you want to invest in the work that we do at Palmetto Family, click on that Invest tab on the homepage. That's how we're able to do this. That's how we're able to bring this show to you three, sometimes even four times a week because of vocal, loyal support and investment from folks like you who believe in what we do. And so we thank you for that in advance. If you want to sign up for our email newsletter, you can do that as well. PalmettoFamily.org, bottom of the page. Sign up for it today. I'm just going to ask you really quick. Uh, do your friends know about this show? If they don't, why don't they? Maybe that's a failure on your part. Let them know that we're here. Share this video with them. Here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to do. You need to share this Facebook video with four or five friends. If you don't have five friends, go meet somebody in a coffee shop. Five friends. Share this video with them and let them know that this is the place where they can get the best conservative talk in the state of South Carolina. YouTube, subscribe to the channel. You'll get notified every time we have a new show up. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast feeds, 
Give us that five-star rating and review. Hit that, hit that follow button. Hit that subscribe button. Every time we put a new show up, you'll get a notification that we have a new one coming up. And that's the best way you can support this show on the ground level is to let people know that we're here. We appreciate you for making us the Palmetto Family Matters Show, the fastest-growing, strongest conservative talk show in the state of South Carolina. Have a great weekend. We'll see you all back here on Monday.